Do you ever wonder what happened to courtship and find yourself longing to go out on a real date? Do you ask yourself why some marriages last and others fall apart? Is your marriage struggling despite your best efforts to keep it together? Women who win at love don't have a gift you don't have. What makes them unique is that they aren't at war with the men in their lives. Rather than take a competitive approach to relationships, as the culture teaches, they accept that men are men and that women are women. And that makes all the difference. Whether you're single and mapping out your life, or you're divorced or unhappily married, women who win at love will permanently alter the way you view men in marriage. You will learn the eight dating rules that lead to marriage, why super successful women struggle in love, what men want and what women want, hint, they're not the same, why love alone is not a reason to get married, how to avoid the green grass syndrome, and why acting like a man lands women in a ditch. Women Who Win at Love is an in-depth examination of modern dating and marriage and a wake-up call for women at every stage of life. So go to Amazon.com and type in Women Who Win at Love and get ready for your life to change. Welcome to another edition of the Suzanne Venker Show, where we tell truths the culture won't. You can find out more at SuzanneVenker.com. And as always, this program is brought to you by Hair Saloon for Men. Hair Saloon is filling a void in American life that has as much to do with the restoration of men as it does with the business of haircutting. Men and women are different, and that's a good thing. At Hair Saloon, the TVs are always tuned into sports and never to Oprah. So head on over to HairSaloon.com. They have 18 locations in St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Boston, and Houston. Book online or through their mobile app. Again, that's HairSaloon.com for men against the grain. Our culture is so saturated in feminist ideology that even conservatives think inside its wheel ruts. This wouldn't be a problem except feminism is antithetical to human flourishing because it has a false view of human nature. The stark difference between men and women when it comes to mate selection and family planning is just one example. Women have the most marital bargaining power in their 20s. The smartest female strategy, then, is to lock in a husband before women have to compete against younger, more fertile women. This is the exact opposite of what our society tells women to do. It tells women to do the same thing men do. But women are not men. Our bodies are different, our fertility is different, and our priorities are different. Indeed, infertility problems increase and are harder to address the older you are. That boyfriend you passed on at age 25 because you, quote, weren't ready to get married yet, end quote, won't be around when you're 30 or 35, and the replacements for him are slimming out at that age. All of which is to say, women need and deserve their own life script, one that's unique to their biology. In order to develop one, they need to be told the truth about not just their bodies, but about what makes most women happy. My guest today is Joy Pullman, author and executive editor at The Federalist, as well as the mother of five children. Joy explains why the feminist life script that encourages women to postpone marriage and motherhood indefinitely is not only bad for women, but not what most women want. She also tells her own story about how she got lucky with an unintended and unplanned pregnancy. Joy joins us now via Skype. Welcome, Joy. Hi there. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks for joining us. So I wanted to point it out right away that most of what you're I just... One of my, sorry, you're the, one of my favorite lady writers, so I was I just couldn't believe that you even asked. <laughs> oh, please. Oh, please. You're awesome. You're just great. And I got to tell everybody right away, if you don't know who Joy is, again, she's the executive editor, editor at The Federalist. And what I love about her writing is that you have a way of 
putting in layman's terms, pretty, you know, some complicated stuff that people wouldn't necessarily understand, but you put it very simply and in a way that um, makes sense. And that's just, that's, that's been what's really stood out to me about your work. So thank you, though, for your comment. I want to point out um, at the outset that most of what I just read comes from an article you wrote at The Federalist called The Feminist Life Script Has Made Many Women Miserable. Don't let it sucker you, which is right up my alley, as, as will not surprise you. And I'd love to start by having you share with my listeners your story about getting pregnant as a new wife when you had some other plans in mind, immediate plans in mind, and how that changed not just your trajectory, but maybe the way you think about um, issues related to, to careers and family. Well, I mean, as I write in the article, I, I – uh, well – I I was surprised by many things about getting pregnant when I didn't want to. Uh, and in retrospect, you know, one of the surprising things is that I thought, why did I assume that I wouldn't get pregnant when I was having sex, right? <laughs> uh, you know, now that I am an older and wiser lady, I realize, you know, how kind of clueless that is. But it's a really common assumption. Um, and that wasn't the only clueless common assumption that I had somehow absorbed from the culture. Um, and it actually really made uh, my first pregnancy very psychologically difficult. Physically, it was great. I was pregnant at 22, um, and as I write in the article, I was lucky enough to be married, so I had you know a support system behind me. I had a you know I wasn't uh, going to be a single mom. I you know I, the baby and I were going to be fed. We had health care. You know all of that was fine. So you know so in terms of uh, just, you know, financial stability, you know, relational stability, as well as that my body handled the pregnancy really great because I was so young. All of that was great. But what was not great was my mentality about the pregnancy. It was, uh, I mean, my, my roughest one. Uh, and as you mentioned, I have five kids and they're all pretty young. I'm, I'm still pretty young, um, actually, but I'm really grateful about that also in retrospect. Um, but it was psychologically difficult because I had somehow, even though I grew up in a really conservative, my parents are both politically and religiously extremely conservative. Um, and so, I, you know, I grew up in that kind of culture and I thought that I was also, you know, tended towards that way. But somehow, I mean, I think just because it is our cultural, the water that we're swimming in, um, I had absorbed completely non you know, non-conservative, religiously and political ideas about what my life trajectory was supposed to look like. And nobody had told me anything about um, the biological differences between women and the psychological differences. I mean, I knew, you know, you'd, I'd read things like, you know, the women are from um, Venus, men are from Mars, women, women are from Venus kind of thing. But I didn't realize how fundamental and how deeply mm -hmm. affecting mm -hmm our biology and our sex differences are. And of course, I think marriage is is designed to help you learn a lot more about that. That's kind of, you know, anyway, so when, when we, I mean, we had, we're just three months uh, married when we, when we got pregnant. Um, <laughs> so we didn't have a lot of time to explore that dynamic that much before the baby came. Um, but, you know, it's been uh, t almost 10 years now. Um, so I've learned a lot more about that uh, in, in the intervening years. And so I really appreciated that part about marriage as well. Anyway, but I, I was a very pro-life person. So I had to confront the fact um, that my pro-life convictions were completely out of step um, with the way that I was feeling about my own baby. 
And I had a huge moral dilemma about the fact that I was angry at my own child, an innocent, defenseless person. And I, you know, I knew it was a person. I knew it was my child. And I wanted to love this child, but I was angry that, you know, that the child existed. So that was a difficult pregnancy. Um, but it started, it, I, but I mean, I've written about this elsewhere, but it also really rescued me from a lot of harmful, these harmful ideas that I had absorbed and kind of slowly started this process of transforming my life into one that isn't negative, you know, that doesn't lead me to, you know, d dislike and hate small, innocent, defenseless children that belong to me. So when I saw that that was the outcome of these assumptions that I had, I knew I had to change them and it required me to change them. And that has is ongoing. Uh, I still have work to do in that area, but I'm very, very, very grateful for that, what it has done, what my son uh, and, and my husband and, you know, all the rest of my kids have done for my life and making me such a better person. And I, you know, I'm sure that will continue, but anyway, it's, it's been wonderful. So I've been really blessed, but I didn't, <laughs> at the beginning, you know, I really thought it was the, one of the most horrible things that could ever have happened to me, but it turned out to be exactly the opposite. I, I just think this is fascinating. I didn't realize the scope of this. So let's just to be clear with our listeners, what you're saying essentially is that you had other plans, right, after you were married. And that's what you mean by res being resentful, correct? I mean, so I came out of college, you know, top A student, honors program, mm -hmm. had a bunch of internships. You know, I was going to go take on the world, you know, kick tail, take names. You know, um, I had, you know, I had multiple job offers uh, coming out of college at a time. I, I came out of college right at the height of the Obama recession. You know, so I was heading to Washington, D.C., you know, to make a name for myself, la, 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 la. And this baby was going to ruin everything, mm -hmm. I thought. Um <laughs> So, yeah, so that, you know, it was it was a major conflict. And, um, yeah, I, I was really headed into career mode, uh, you know, career lady. And, you know, I thought that the baby was going to destroy all of that. See, it, so it turns out that he transformed that mm -hmm. into something way better than I ever would have, as well as, I mean, now I look back and I think what what would be the point of, you know, having a byline at somewhere like the Federalist or getting to go on radio programs with you, you know, and other people that would be completely meaningless if I did not have my son, if I, if I had, if I had aborted him, if I had rejected him and stuck him in daycare, which we didn't choose to, you know, if I had, if I had, I mean, I just feel like my, my moral character was shown to be very bad, but I improved it <laughs> uh, when, when I could have, you know, um, accentuated my, my bad character instead. So anyway, uh, so I mean, I don't know that I'd call know, it of having a prominent place somewhere if you don't have integrity in your private yeah. life and, and the people that you love are not feeling loved by you. So but I didn't again, I knew none of this. Um, I was a complete neophyte when I was walking into it, and I've learned it only through going through it. This is so interesting. I, so I, it's interesting that you refer to being, having bad character. I, it sounds like to me what you're saying is you, this is especially interesting because you came from such a traditional background. It sounds to me like you, there was a disconnect between what you were born and raised to believe and what the culture was teaching you, which I oh, happen yeah. to think – I just had a conversation yesterday with someone about trying to explain the significance of the culture. And we're going to have to go to a break right now. But when we come back, I want to talk about that, how much more significant the culture is, I think, than people realize on these very personal life decisions.
You're a man that respects quality over quantity. You value relationships that can stand the test of time. You enjoy convenience without sacrificing comfort. At Hair Saloon for Men, we get it. We are restoring the time-honored tradition of delivering a haircut experience men across all generations can depend on. Because sometimes the man everyone depends on needs a place of his own to depend on. The experience goes well beyond the haircut. With every perfect haircut service, you receive a complimentary beverage, a relaxing shampoo, a hot towel and mint for the perfect finish, and remember to take advantage of the complimentary shoe shines. While today's world is filled with numerous clip joints and fancy salons, Hair Saloon is building something better, something different. Book appointments online 24-7, and walk-ins are always welcome. Hair Saloon, for men against the grain. Visit hairsaloon.com to find a saloon in your neighborhood or for franchising opportunities. That's hairsaloon.com. Welcome back to the Suzanne Venker Show. You can find out more at suzannevenker.com. We're talking today with Joy Pullman, author and executive editor at The Federalist, as well as the mother of five children, about how women set themselves up for failure by following the feminist life script. And we left um, to go to break talking about Joy's, I guess you'd call it epiphany, um, in getting pregnant as a newly married mother prior to when she had planned to do that and how it really shifted everything for her in terms of what she valued and how she how she looked at things, particularly with respect to work and family. So I was mentioning before we went to the break that I, I, I just feel so strongly about the cultural messages that women, even from, as you were putting out, conservative or religious backgrounds, are absorbing that basically end up superseding the values that they were raised with. Mm-hmm. I find this fascinating because, and to me it makes perfect sense because the cult when people don't really understand i think what we're talking about when we talk about the culture it's that drip drip feed whether it's commercials or a song or music or what your friends are doing we are such um we're we're social animals that want to be confirmed by those around us and we when we see them all doing something it is just so natural to want to jump on board with that so is that what you feel like in retrospect you were up against Oh, well, yes. I mean, one of the shocking things about this whole experience I'm talking about is I was shocked by the fact that I, you know, like I said, an extremely strong pro-life person held implicit anti-life, you know, thoughts, you know, that that caused me to have that kind of conflict about my own child. Um, And I mean, that wasn't the only one, but that's obviously perhaps one of the clearest ones. Um, and, 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 and like you're saying, I mean, I, when I say I grew up in a conservative house, I'm not, I mean, we didn't watch TV. We didn't even have our television set hooked up, you know, so I wasn't like watching sitcoms. I wasn't watching soap operas, whatever, you know, serials, whatever it is that people watch. You know, I, I was getting very limited cultural messages compared to the average person, hmm. um, you know, who, who does, I mean, we, we didn't listen um, to a lot of pop radio. My ter- parents would, you know, turn on NPR, but you know, it's on NPR as well, you know, right on, on the news. Right. Uh, and the talk right. stations. But but so it was kind of shocking to me to see that the effect to which it had affected me when I had thought that I was such a strong person who really, you know, believed my ideals all the way through. And, and yet I found out that I really wasn't, you know, I, I actually didn't. I, and I needed to 
be, um, I mean, I needed to have more of my thoughts come into alignment with my values. And that was a difficult process, but it was a really good one for me. Awesome. Okay. So let's get into um, the specifics of your article where we're, we're really honed in on women's fertility. You give an example um, of from the cuts, uh, which is a um, advice column from New York, New York Magazine, New York, I think, Yes, blog. right. Right. And this 35-year-old woman wrote in, and she's in great distress, you said, um, over this fact that she had bought into this idea that you should postpone marriage and motherhood and go out and have this great, fun life unencumbered by any responsibilities, and that's that's just what you do. And then, of course, here she is, 35, regretting this and saying that she's left most of her friends behind, and they've continued to – her friends have grown deep roots you know, in terms of marriage and home ownership and all of that. And, and now she's miserable. And then you – you pointed out in there that the advice columnist that this woman wrote to gave her the, you know, feminine, I mean, well, the psychological, the psychobabble, let's call it that, to make her feel better, but didn't recognize or validate this woman's loss. So let's talk about what that loss is, that at 35, what happens and why this is so critical to understand. And I, and of course, I knew none of this. Uh, again, I, I knew almost nothing, nothing that is important, uh, you know, about my life. Nobody ever told me any of this. So, I mean, I didn't learn this until maybe like pregnancy two or three, right? Not even with my first pregnancy. And I, of course, I went to all the doctor appointments and I had very great health care anyway. But, but nobody told me just the basic thing that starting at age 35, medical professionals, well, if, if you're pregnant 35 or later, you're classified as a high risk pregnancy mm-hmm. just because it's harder on those aging women's bodies to have babies. I mean, uh, I, I mean, you would, you would, people nowadays think, oh, 35, you're just getting started or whatever, <laughs> but that's just not the case physically, especially for this very big task of creating a hum, human being inside yourself. Um, so, um, you're just at an increased risk for complications starting at that. And, you know, and, and, and if you look at the charts about fertility and, and pregnancy complications and, you know, um, the birth defects with babies, you know, that it just kind of starts to tip around 35 and then it takes just a straight line downward, basically straight until menopause, which is about, you know, early mid forties. Um, so, I mean, I didn't even, you know, I didn't even know none of that. Now that I know that I've been thinking, oh my goodness, I better get all the babies that I want in before 35 if I can. <laughs> because yep. the more that I have, you know, the more that I want, it's kind of like, you know, got to collect them all. <laughs> well, so do the math for us because you were talking in there about how, you know, you need to rest between these pregnancies. So mapping out yes, how yes, many yes. you Which, want. You know, and nobody what, tells yeah. anybody that either, but right. it makes perfect sense, right? Like, it's, I mean, everyone knows it takes nine months to gestate a baby, but you know, there's postpartum period your body is recovering for the next year you're nursing the baby you're bonding with that baby you know so it's at least a two two and a half three year cycle to to create to, to you know to nurture to 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 get you know on their feet you know uh, one baby so i mean 86 percent of american of americans want to have at least two kids so that's you know that's that's like you know that's a five or six year proposition right there it's going to take them five or six years to create those babies to recover from those babies you know to start the next one so on and so forth so if you don't um you know if you don't and and the average age of marriage nowadays for ladies i I think is 28 for women and uh or maybe 27 for women and 29 for men it Mm might have inched upward again but that was the last that i uh that i saw so and and when people get married nowadays at the age they are not thinking wow i had better if i want any if i want to get my two or three kids i need to start right now because they do if, if you're on that time horizon, it's going to take you five to seven years, five to eight years to get two or three kids, you know? Yep. So, you know, 
simple math, 28 plus 5, 28 plus 8, there you are. You're, you're barely getting them in right before that high-risk pregnancy uh, kind of stage starts. Um, I mean, and those are just, again, those are basic biological facts that nobody ever communicated to me. I had to put two in together hearing, oh, whoa, wait, you know, at, at 35, I'm going to have to do all these extra tests, you know, when I'm pregnant that, that I haven't had to do, you know, since I was lucky to be pregnant, not pregnant, or sorry, pregnant earlier, um, you know, I'm going to have, you know, increased possibility of a C-section, which is a major surgery that really affects your recovery and your bonding with the baby, you know, and it's just, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, rolling snowball from there. So that that's just like, I think that should be taught, you know, to girls and young women in their sex ed classes in middle school and later. But obviously, you know, basically nobody is, is telling them that sort no, of thing. No, they're not. And, and of course, we're up against something a lot bigger here. You gave an example, again, of another woman. This one's 50, who called into Dennis Prager's radio show. And I actually quoted that same thing. So I remembered it, um, where she also you know, postpone, just like the other lady, postpone marriage and motherhood as long as possible. But her reasoning, she said, was that she was programmed to get into the workforce, compete with men and make money, because that would supposedly be a fulfilling life. But she was told that by a feminist mother who was divorced, and she said, who, quote unquote, hated her husband, my father. Now, that that's that's not a small thing. And it's not a rare thing. This being a product of divorce naturally scares people into thinking that marriage is not a tenable situation. And so, of course, you're going to push that off. So in conjunction with the fertility issues, you also have this very negative, um, really, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, ultimately, I think, for for Mm. a lot of people, because they just are setting themselves up to fail by by not understanding that their parent's story doesn't have to be theirs. Mm -hmm. Do you want to speak to that at all? Well, that's that's a really difficult question. I mean, I think... Uh, maybe a lot of your listeners don't know, but the majority of millennials, I'm, I'm a younger millennial, um, are now having kids, the majority of them have kids without being married. And even if you don't want to talk about that in terms of morality, you have to realize that that is putting those kids at risk. You know, it's no just question. every single sociological indicator says that being, you know, in a, a home with their own married biological parents is the number one best way to raise a child. And so if you're not doing that, you are you're setting them up for failure. And a lot of millennials have known that because, you know, we have boomer parents you know, largely. And our boomer parents are very selfish, very me centered. um, And that has led to, you know, a very large boomer divorce rate. So we do feel psychologically scarred by that. I mean, I just know talking to young people of my age range, it comes up either um, implicitly or or we will, you know, many will, will just acknowledge it straight up. I don't want my I don't want to have the same kind of family life that my parents had. Mm-hmm. It was tense. I felt torn between these two people. You know, I was forced to be the go-between. But the problem is that you know cohabitation. You know, cohabitation is basically um, like starting you know your relationship divorced, <laughs> because the majority of cohabiting relationships do not last. No. And you know, so what you're doing is creating an environment for kids that you said you were trying to get away from. But again, nobody's telling anybody that. They don't know. They're just you know trying to figure it out on their own with so little guidance. Completely agreed. I have to stop you right there. We need to take a quick break now and hear a word from our sponsor. Hair Saloon. It's more than just a haircut. You walk in the door, tired, spent, looking a bit ragged. You're greeted by a warm welcome like you've been here before. A complimentary drink slides across the bar, quenching your thirst for comfort and convenience. The sound of clippers and conversation can be heard drowning out the noise of the world. 
You sit comfortably, surrounded in soft leather and smooth chrome. The smell of oak and club mint talc reconnects you to traditions your father and grandfather once knew. The soothing sounds of sharp metal trim away at your problems. Staying put in a comfortable barber chair, you lay back, resting your eyes as warm water and sweet mint soap washes away your worries. You recapture a few minutes to feel strong again, to look your best, and to get ready for what's next. And you're ready to repeat again a few weeks later. Hair Saloon, for men against the grain. Visit hairsaloon.com to find a location near you. That's hairsaloon.com. Welcome back to the Suzanne Venker Show. You can find out more at suzannevenker.com. This program is brought to you by Hair Saloon for Men. At Hair Saloon, customers receive a complimentary hot or cold beverage as well as a shoe shine, hot towel, and mint. At Hair Saloon, they don't offer coupons because they don't need to. Their prices are always reasonable, and customers never feel shortchanged when they walk out the door. So head on over to hairsaloon.com. They have 18 locations in St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Boston, and Houston. Book online or through their mobile app. Again, that's hairsaloon.com. We're talking today with Joy Pullman, author and executive editor at The Federalist, as well as the mother of five, about how women set themselves up for failure following the feminist life script. So we left off talking about how um, Joy, as a mother of five, has women who sort of stop her when she's out and about with her kids to tell her what a beautiful family she has and how they wish they had had more kids and all of that. I think that is just, I couldn't agree with you more that that is um, a hush-hush almost. I mean, it's, it's a big deal and people do not hear enough about how differently life looks when you're hitting the 45 mark. The fi- I'm 51, so I'm I'm, <laughs> I, I'm feeling it now. Like even when I look back, um, you know, I have two children and yeah, I wish we had more, but I, you know, I kind of messed it up the first time. And then by the time I remarried the second time, uh, we were older, my husband and I. So, so, <laughs> so, um, uh, Are you there? I'm here, but I'm hearing a car in the background or something, so I'm not sure what that okay. was. So my producer and I are sitting here laughing. Okay, um, back on track. Sorry, guys. Um, I, just that it looks very different when you get to be around my age and you look back and you see that those years are gone. And if and if if you hadn't if you hadn't um, understood and embraced how you're going to feel about it down the road, you are very likely going to be disappointed. So it is very unfortunate. And in the um, in the article that we're talking about that you wrote, in terms of planning this out and understanding the differences between men and women, which I want to get back to, one of the points that you're making is, look, men and women are different. Uh, women have a biological clock, bottom line. Men don't have, they do sort of, but not at all the same. And you, clock is a lot longer. Much longer. And look, we can't do anything about that. You know, we do, this is nature. This is God. We don't, we don't make these, these uh, arrangements. So <laughs> we're stuck with them. So knowing okay. that, knowing that, um, one of the things in the book that I have coming out later this year is, you know, talks about uh, mate selection and when, when men and women are at their most attractive. And for women, it's when they're young and they're fertile. And we're, they're getting messages to just basically ignore that time of their life and do something else. And thinking that 10 years down the road, you're still going to be in a good, in the same position that you were in your mid 20s. And it just doesn't work that way. Right. Well, and the thing I've, I've started to think, I mean, again, this has been a really long and slow process, right? So, which is, probably good for my psyche <laughs> can't make big giant changes too fast you know or it'll be destable i mean yeah. destabilizing enough to make them at all 
Um, but with the, so one of the things that, I mean, I actually switched around baby number three to, I mean, the first th- two and almost three were kind of like, wow, okay, that happened. I wasn't really doing that. And then actually number four and number five, I did that on purpose. I wanted for it. I mean, they, those are planned pregnancies, which sounds crazy. But I, I, I changed my mentality into thinking, well, how many kids will I want to have when I'm 40 or 50? Well, the honest answer to that is as many as humanly possible, right? Because there's zero downside and all upside. It means more people at the Thanksgiving dinner table. It means more grandkids. It means, you know, more, you know, photos from my Facebook. It means more, you know, opportunities to play and, and stay young, you know, and, and goof off with all with a crop of these, you know, wonderful people. It means more opportunities to love people. Like, I just can't see any downside. It's more people when I'm 80 years old and I need and I can't think straight anymore because I'm 80 more people who can drive me to my doctor appointments and hold my hand and check that those nurses are getting my meds right. Um, you know, uh, and, and well, that's you know- really, really important to your quality of life. And a lot of people at that, I mean, and we're talking about, you know, American, I, I think the average age that women live too long is mid to late 80s. You know, um, so you are setting the second half of your life in the first half of your life and you don't even know it. And your kids, your family life is immensely important to your happiness, your mental health um, when when in that second half of your life. So, again, chalk that up to one of the extremely important things that nobody's telling these young people. There was actually um, I I forget the name of the lady who who wrote Sex in the City that inspired the um, obviously that the big six hugely successful tv show but she just recently came out she's hitting her 50s now childless divorced she says i regret not having any kids you know i basically have my girlfriends just like it you know is in her her tv show and you know it's it's you know uh the the, the quotes from her in the article were so sad you know we just go around and we're still having brunch Mm -hmm. sometimes we mix it up and have it on a paddle boat you know but but i mean if that you know how do you say it? 80 years of having brunch with your girlfriend, it's going to get a little old, but you don't know that when you're 30 and it's still kind of fresh and fun. No, and what's standing out to me about what you're saying, of course, is the difference between what the, the way you're talking and I think the average millennial, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not a millennial, but is that you're thinking in to the future. You're thinking far ahead. And that's really the, the ticket. That's the trick to this whole thing. Because if you're only thinking about the tomorrow or a year from now or five years from now, you're missing out on understanding what's going to happen in the second half of your life. So I don't think that that's popular to talk about in the way that you are. I understand exactly what you're saying, but I don't think that it's it's popular to talk about your life in this long you know, journey or road. But we need to do that when it comes to work and family and uh, fertility issues, obviously. We need to take a quick break and we will be right back. Are you unhappily single? Does your marriage or relationship feel hard? I get a lot of emails from readers who are struggling in their marriage or relationship. Unfortunately, the help an individual or couple needs can rarely be answered in a series of emails. For this reason, I offer relationship coaching for those who are struggling to find love and for couples whose marriage or relationship feels stuck in a negative cycle. Go to SuzanneBanker.com and sign up today for a coaching session with me and learn the tools you need to find love and sustain it. It's so much easier than you think. That's SuzanneBanker.com. Welcome back to the Suzanne Venker Show. You can find out more at SuzanneVenker.com. We're talking today with Joy Pullman, author and executive editor at The Federalist, as well as the mother of five, about how women set themselves up for failure by following the feminist life script. And Joy, I want to pick up by 
basically summing this up to say what what I always try to encourage and, and emphasize is it's just the best strategy for these issues with women and work and family and fertility and marriage and all of that is to move with the biological tide rather than against it. And so one of the things, and I know you agree. Right, and I mean, the reason that I go and I just try to get these points and or try to communicate them more and talk about them is that because I wish so much that someone had told me this. Right. Even though I got really lucky with my unwanted pregnancy at the great biological time. I mean, that baby was so easy. I mean, I don't, I mean, and uh, like I've talked, you know, to lots of women now about their different kinds of pregnancies. And it's ridiculous how easy, you know, babies at 22, 23, 25 are compared <laughs> to babies at, you know, my last one is, was at 32. Um, just yes. Major, major world of difference. Um, and just because, you know, the, the, my body's young, it snapped. I mean, I was wearing my pre-pregnancy pants at four weeks postpartum. It was great. They're just, <laughs> um, and I mean, so, I mean, there, there's just so many huge benefits about that, but nobody told me a darn thing about all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I just try to get the word out because it really would have helped me, even though I, I, I got lucky. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have got lucky if my birth control worked better. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, and, and look, you know, anyway, but not only that, I, I mean, I wish someone had told me that so that I had have, I could have chosen to do it, you know, myself and, and then been spared a lot of the grief and realized how great it was going to be. I mean, because mm-hmm. I, I had all of these fears about how terrible it was going to be, you know, all of my resistance to kids and to marriage. I was very scared to get married. All of that resistance was utterly fear based. I was terrified of both of them. And now having done it all, it's wonderful. I mean, obviously hard hard work, right? It's, it's not mm-hmm. easy, but it's so rewarding. Absolutely would do it a hundred times over again. And I would be way more happier about it. You know, so I, if, if, if anyone had ever done this for me, I would have been so grateful, which is why I try to kind of pass that on. Well, I think that's great. And um, I want to shift now to something that you said, a sentence that you wrote in this um, article where you said, there is no going back after having a baby in mm-hmm. any sense. And that's, so huge because obviously your world changes so dramatically that one of the things that I think surprises people like you're talking about is also the fact that, hey, they want to be with their babies when they have them, which is not the message they got pre-baby. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. And so I want to shift just a little bit to maybe next year in 2020 because we're going to have um, a Democratic uh, push certainly for universal Daycare, they don't call it daycare anymore. You know, they soften that with child care. Because they know what it is. Yes, right. So, and I know you've written a lot about this. So um, tell my listeners what the the disconnect is between what they're pushing for and what most women want based on this um, research. So honestly, I feel like a lot of people who talk about this issue don't have kids or didn't really care for physically. I don't I don't mean they don't love their kids, but they didn't physically care for their kids very much <laughs> because I totally agree. Um, just they're, they're, the things that they will say sound like someone who doesn't have any experience with a small infant. Um, Couldn't and- agree more. And so, I mean, so that's really frustrating to me to say, basically, like, you don't even know what a baby is like, do you? I mean, you sound like you don't know what a baby is like. Um, and, and again, I didn't know what a baby was like until I got one. I mean, I had, you know, done some babysitting. I have a bunch of younger siblings, you know, but it's it's completely different when it's your own. And it's primal. It's you yes. can't 
I, you cannot, I, I mean, it's kind of like, um, if, if your readers are familiar with the C.S. Lewis novel about the wood between the worlds, so this is this, a children's novel, um, the Narnia series, but he described, it's a science fiction book, he describes um, the, the kind of this place where if uh, it, it's a wood with a bunch of pools in it, and if you jump into the pool, you're transported to a completely different world, um, you know, that has different rules, different characters, different <laughs> settings, so on and so forth. So, to, for me, becoming a mother was like jumping into one of those pools. I had never been to this world before. It was a completely brand new place. And it was a kind of a universe of possibility that I never knew had existed. And I couldn't have ever conceptualized that until it happened. It's just kind of one of those things. You just got to do it to understand it on that gut level to really get it. Um, so, it, um, so that's one thing that I want to communicate to people who don't have kids. You know, you're, you really have to do it to get it on the gut level. But I mean, there are so I mean, we're biologically primed to be strongly attached and strongly favored to our helpless little children. And it's instinctive. You typically, I mean, unless, you know, unless in, in the rare cases, you know, when you're having um, certain problems, you know, maybe biochemical imbalances, you know, you, you have an abusive relationship, but those are rare instances. Most, for most normal people, when you get that baby out, you all of a sudden are complaining. I mean, the literature on it, actually the same hormones, um, are, the bonding hormones are the same one as falling in love. Yep. You fall in love with your baby. Yep. Um, and anyway, so you, you fall in love with that baby and you want to be with that baby and you're attached to this baby and you would do anything you would, you know, you would jump in front of a bus for that baby. And so that primal feeling is nowhere considered. I mean, when I, I mean, I get mad at people from both parties about this because I see tip, I mean, all these Republicans stand up and it's, again, it's like, do you, did you have a baby? Did your wife have a baby? And would you want to take that baby and stick it with a stranger at six weeks old? Really? You know, I mean, I, uh, I went back to work when my first child was six weeks old. But my husband and I were really lucky to have an arrangement where we, we um, both of our workplaces were flexible. So the baby was in our care 24-7. It was either my husband or me. I was able to work from home a significant portion of the week, you know, and I had him all the nights and the weekends. So I had the baby in my arms, and he wanted that. You know, the, our, our baby, the, the, and that's the other thing. The babies want their mom so bad. Um, I, I have taken care, you know, of kids whose, whose mommies have to work and they ask me all day long, when's my mom coming yeah. home, you know, or, or when they, you know, skin their knee, I, they cry. I want my mommy. And like, you can't blame them. They deserve their mommy. They need their mommy. Absolutely. And you know, everybody's kid is the same. A great we, joy. I need to stop you right there for a second. So, because I got to go to a break, we'll come right back and pick up exactly where you left off. Do you ever wonder what happened to courtship and find yourself longing to go out on a real date? Do you ask yourself why some marriages last and others fall apart? Is your marriage struggling despite your best efforts to keep it together? Women who win at love don't have a gift you don't have. What makes them unique is that they aren't at war with the men in their lives. Rather than take a competitive approach to relationships, as the culture teaches, they accept that men are men and that women are women. And that makes all the difference. Whether you're single and mapping out your life, or you're divorced or unhappily married, women who win at love will permanently alter the way you view men in marriage. You will learn the eight dating rules that lead to marriage, why super successful women struggle in love, what men want and what women want, hint, they're not the same, why love alone is not a reason to get married, how to avoid the green grass syndrome, and why acting like a man lands women in a ditch. Women Who Win at Love is an in-depth examination of modern dating and marriage and a wake-up call for women at every stage of life. So go to Amazon.com and type in Women Who Win at Love and get ready for your life to change. 
Welcome back to The Suzanne Benker Show. You can find out more at SuzanneBenker.com. This program is brought to you by Hair Saloon for Men, for men against the grain. Visit HairSaloon.com. We're talking today with Joy Pullman, author and executive editor at The Federalist, as well as a mother of five, about how women set themselves up for failure by following the feminist life script. So everything that you're saying, um, Joy, needless to say, I completely agree with, and I, I can feel your passion because you're in the thick of it. You've got five kids, nine and under, is that right? That's right. Yeah, and that's just... Oh my lordy! I mean, it's 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 so many emotions, right? And and to to have stepped into that world, not knowing prior to it how it much it was going to change your life, I feel you, how passionate you feel about not having been sort of forewarned, so that you could um, think differently about it and map out your life differently. One of the things that I struggle with, and maybe you have a suggestion here, is what are your suggestion for? The, the idea that when you first, if, if you were to tell young people this in their early 20s, let's say, do you feel like they're receptive then and would hear it? Because I get a lot of people who say, gosh, Suzanne, if I just heard about you 15 mm-hmm. years ago, my life would be so different. And so they're so receptive at 35, but I'm not sure they're as receptive at 20. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, that's actually, un- I mean, so far that's been mostly my experience, too. There, I mean, I have absolutely had you know, young women come up and talk to me and say, thank you for telling me this, uh, you know, because I've spoken to a number of especially college age groups. Um, but uh, but I mean, you're you're absolutely I've also gotten a, a lot of hostility, yeah. you know, from women make me, you know, because if again, I, I was there and I would have probably been hostile to this in this, you know, when, when I was in their seat. Right. I've been 20, the A student who's got a bright future ahead, who's going to go out into the world and, you know, kick tail, make a name for herself. I was there. And if someone had told me, you know, actually what you're really going to want in 15 years is nothing more than to hold a baby and to have a more meaningful life. And that an office, no matter what that office is, even if it's going on Fox News every, you know, all all the time. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I would have never believed that. I wouldn't have believed it, Um, which is it's. Um, See, it's which a, is really sad. And so, I mean, again, I got lucky with an unplanned pregnancy. I don't necessarily recommend that. Um, oh, as I, a married woman, you got lucky with it. And that's important, of course, to, to add. Woman, right. It wouldn't have been lucky if I had no, not been married. No. no. It would have been te- it, it, right. terrible. Right. Um, but um, that, yeah. that's a hard one, you know, to shake because I can I can totally sympathize where I mean, with a young woman in that situation and how she's feeling. And I'm basically saying to her, you've got to take my word for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, good. it's yeah. not just my word. It's my experience. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am trying to save you heartache. And it's not just me saying heartache. It is a bunch of your older sisters who are in the same age range as I am. You know, it's you, Suzanne. It's the ladies you have on your program. It's these women who regret and wish they could go back 20 years and, you know, dial back the clock and they can't. And they're coming out and they've been saying, you know, listen to us. You don't want to be me. You don't think it can happen to you. But look, it can happen. And I mean, there have been other messages that talked about that that young people have adopted. So, for example, Teenagers today are having a lot less premarital sex than they used to. And part of that is just being a screen addicted in pornography, but also part of that is risk aversion. They, the, you know, the sorts of thoughtful, um, you know, uh, put together, you know, young ladies we're talking to know what an unplanned pregnancy would do to their plans and they avoid it on purpose. 
This has just been a great conversation, Joy. Where can people find out more about your work? I think, I mean, the best place, you know, if you just go to the Federalist, um, you can find my work there. You can type my name into the search bar. Awesome. Thank you, Joy. This has just been great. I really appreciate your coming on. It's been a pleasure. My guest today was Joy Pullman, author and executive editor at The Federalist, as well as a mother of five. Well, that wraps up another edition of The Suzanne Venker Show. Don't forget to tune in next time when we talk with Heather McDonald, a New York Times bestselling author and frequent guest on Tucker Carlson, about the breakdown of marriage and the crisis of father-absent homes. And if you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, and please do take one minute to give us your review. It really helps. And if you have a comment or question, you can email Suzanne at the com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend. 